0: Second part of our interview with Charles Harris, I wanted to just give you a heads up to be sure to sign up for my free ebook, Discipline and Finding Your Edge. Go to TraderDiscipline.com and you'll get a free copy of that ebook. I really know you're going to like this episode, so please enjoy it. So today I'm very excited for part two. Uh, of the Wall Street Coach podcast with our guest, Charles Harris. Just for clarity's sake, Charles Harris is the portfolio manager at O'Neill Global Advisors with over 20 years experience in finance. Recently, Charles, uh, released a YouTube video of his 2019 presentation entitled A Traitor's Journey, which put him on my radar. Uh, his presentation details his own personal journey as a traitor and the, le- the highs and the lows that he's gone through, the boom and the bust. Um, I was blown away by his vulnerability and the wisdom he's gained and how he speaks to his own hero journey of how he got himself out of an incredibly devastating loss uh, due to self-awareness. I'm also joined by Shane Dorian. If you're not familiar with Shane Dorian, he is a big wave surfer, one of the best in the world. Uh, He was touring for 11 years on the World Championship Tour as a surfer, but then he retired to start to surf big waves. But that's not all. He has been a trader since 2005 of a canceling system, which was created by William O'Neill. Charles Harris's, uh, the company that Charles Harris is with and worked for and was trained by. And that's part of why I asked Shane to join me uh, in this conversation. Shane's technical expertise is so powerful, especially around Charles Harris's uh, trading style. And I thought he would bring such a beautiful kind of rounding out of a conversation around the mindset so we could get into the technical stuff too. Enjoy this interview. Aloha, everybody, and welcome back to part two of an amazing conversation with Charles Harris and my guest co-host Shane Dorian. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to refer back to part one for their formal Mm -hmm. bios, just in the interest of time. We're going to talk till for roughly about 20 minutes here, and then we're going to hop over to Twitter space and have that all edited together. Today, this is a conversation continuing on a question that Shane asked Charles in our last episode about Tesla. And very fortunate for us, Charles is going to walk us through. So welcome back, both of you, to the Wall Street Coach podcast. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Shane.
2: Thanks for having me, Kim. Shane, great to see you again.
3: Thanks. Good morning, guys. Stoked to be here.
0: So please, Charles, feel you know Shane, why don't you set uh set us up for the question that you did pose and what what your you know fascination was with Tesla based on Charles's incredible talk uh called the Trader's Journey, so people have context if this is the first time they're seeing this conversation
3: yeah for, first of all, I just think it's a really interesting stock because so many people have either tried to own it long term or trade it, so um. The fact that it was to, uh, Charles's biggest winner ever is interesting. I think it'd be really cool for him to take us through the trade and why he has such high conviction in it.
2: Yeah. Um, thanks for that, Shane. So, yeah, what I thought I'd do is I, I created this little PowerPoint here because I think building conviction in the name um, is what allowed me to really um, hold the stock and, you know, I traded it very actively in 2020. And in 2020, after my experience in 2020, I realized maybe I should not trade it so much, and really just try to hold a core position. And so, what I like to do is maybe go through why I have such conviction, or how I came to have so much conviction in it. And you know, I've had a love-hate relationship with Tesla now for since 2013. And as you know, people who've, who watch my um, Trader's Journey presentation know that it's, it not only was my biggest winner, but it was also the really part of the cause of my demise was mishandling it and, you know, losing a great deal of money on this stock as well. So it's um it's been great, but it's also, I've had periods where I've really done very poorly with it. So let me um just go through this little presentation here. So, um, I started trading Tesla in 2013, and when um, after the presentation we'll pull a chart up, and you know people can see exactly where I started and and had my first big win in the stock, and that was uh, in the first quarter of 2013, April 2013. Uh, Tesla went on about a five-six fold run. That was the initial major advance in Tesla. And um, I did really well during that period. It was uh, the stock uh, hugged, um, you know, really abided by the 50-day moving average, which held support all the way up. And um, then it went through its first major correction and came out again and had another really big move, which I was able to capitalize on. And it was right around that time when Tesla went into a long dormant period of about five years, which I never expected the stock to go through that long a period. And during that period, my conviction remained high, but the stock wasn't really tradable. I mean, you could hold it, but you wouldn't make any money in it for a five-year period. So I kept trying to trade it, and I just kept losing. And I I was trading options on it, uh, mistimed those. And really, that's what led to enormous losses during 2000, um, part of 2015, but 2016 as well. And I really kind of cooled on the stock after that. I mean, I, I, it was just a painful stock. So fast forward to um, when I gave the Trader's Journey presentation at the master's workshop in December, 2019. And so, this is right around the period when tesla was coming out of this five-year dormant period and really was the beginning of its major advance during 2020 and at that workshop um, one of the attendees uh, is a friend of mine named jim ropel who um, is a hedge fund manager uh, he, he has a website called the growth stock um, mentor and he really studies monster stocks and his objective is really to get a hold of these huge secular winners get a big position early on and really hold them and uh, we were having dinner and he knew my experience with Tesla and he shared this presentation uh, by a guy named Tony Seba with me which um, I recommend maybe Kim you, you can send a link or I can post a yeah. link somewhere and oh. it's an amazing presentation by a guy who's He's a futurist, I guess you'd call him. And he studies um, the adoption of disruptive technologies and how they're adopted. And, oh. and what he has found is that major new innovations are adopted in an S-curve um, manner where the, the adoption and the growth is exponential. It's not linear. And people tend to think in a linear fashion and so most people underestimate the growth and the prospects of major disruptive technologies. Um, so I watched his presentation on YouTube and at the very beginning of the presentation, he shows a picture of New York City in 1900. And it's, um, it's like an Easter parade, I think. And on the, the street is full of, of horse and carriages yep. and there's one car in the picture which you can't even really see and 13 years later he shows the exact same picture and there are all cars with one horse and literally that picture was so powerful that that's really all I needed to see to kind of get back my conviction in a stock that i had loved for you know, seven years, six, seven years. And I kind of lost my, my conviction and just my, um, y- you know, my belief in the company because it, it was such a painful trade for, you know, for the, the previous few years. So anyway, um, that was really the beginning of, I kind of like, oh my God, yes, this is the time now. Now it's going to really take off. And so that my con and, and position size is always um, mirrors your conviction. The more conviction, the larger your position size uh typically, so at least at least for me. so um just to go through some quick points, what you know what what is my conviction based on it's um in Elon Musk, we have an iconic visionary leader um Tesla is uh, levered to multiple high growth end markets, not just EVs. It's energy in general, clean energy, solar, energy storage. They're getting into the utility business. They are a leader in artificial intelligence, which is going to apply to autonomous driving, eventually robo-taxis. They've they announced last year, last August, that they're getting into robots. Um, insur- their insurance is also based on artificial intelligence. So there's all these amazing end markets, and again, these end markets all have exponential growth. So whereas Apple, for example, had the iPhone, which was um, had an S-curve adoption. You know the the smartphone. Tesla's lever to multiple S curves. Mm-hmm. So I think the potential um, the potential for this stock and for this company is so enormous that I, I think it's basically very underestimated by investors in general. It's very curious to me that, <clears throat> excuse me, a
0: moment. No oh, problem. Awesome. It's a great PowerPoint. <laughs> thanks. <clears throat> yeah.
2: Um, thanks for that. Um, yeah, I think it is. It's hard for me to understand the resistance to the to the stock. I don't know whether it's because, you know, Elon Musk is such a divisive figure. Either you love him or you hate him. But it's. Um, I think there's tremendous potential. So, a few more things adding to my conviction, and I think I mentioned this last week that. They attract the best scientists, the best engineers from the best universities. The whole Their whole culture is involved around innovation and changing things as opposed to the status quo. They've got huge earnings growth, huge profitability. Um, and so now they have the financial flexibility to really go after these markets and, um, you know, fund their, their own growth. Uh, governments around the wor- world are incentivizing the adoption of EVs. So even the, this last week, um, our our leaders, um, you know, passed uh, an EV incentive bill. Right? Uh, ESG investing is is you know all the talk on Wall Street now. So you know they play into that. And then. Catalysts for this year and upcoming are, you know, they've got two gigantic new gigafactories that just came online. They're close to um, really being able to produce the, their new battery technology, uh, which is going to be a game changer. There was the Cybertruck will be coming out next year, hopefully should be the semi truck. They're going to um, give details or, or an update at least on their robot in uh next month. Um their full self-driving is getting closer and closer to deployment, which is going to be a game changer as well. Uh the stock is splitting three for one. You know, that doesn't necessarily change anything, but you know, it it could be a catalyst. And they have an AI day, uh artificial intelligence day next month. Um so those are the reasons why I'm so bullish on Tesla, even though it's had a big move. I think it can go a lot further. And a lot of that is based on using Apple as a precedent. So, Apple uh, was a stock I traded big when it really started its move back in 2004. Uh, that's when it really started to take off after, you know, it was always kind of a, a very, um, uh, a stock that moved in a, in a wide range, but it was never a gigantic leader until 2004 this is years before the iPhone, right? This is when they had the iPod. And I did very well in in Apple, very, very well, but I never had enough conviction in it to hold it. And I think I've mentioned it, the stock, at one point I had my whole account in Apple in like 2005, 2006. And if I had just held that stock, boy, you know, it, it would have been insane. So. Anyway, similarities between Apple and Tesla are, they both are led or were led by iconic visionary CEOs. They both have first mover advantage in, in, you know, Apple with the iPhone, Tesla with the electric car. There's huge end markets involved in both of them. They both have fanatical customer um, bases. So Apple from 2004 to the end of 2021, the 18-year period is up 46,000%. Um, that's a 41% kgar So where else are you going to get 41% a year average growth? I mean, I don't know too many traders that can have that kind of performance year in year out. Um, over that 18-year period, they've only had three down years from. The beginning January first through december thirty first um, two of them were little single digits, and one was during the financial crisis, which was a trem- you know, which was a massive one of the worst bear markets we've ever had, right? There is nothing spared interestingly though, even though apples only had these three down years, there's been over this eighteen year period um and these are this these are their yearly performance January through December. Uh, so this is uh, you know basically showing that the CAGR and showing the the annual increases and decreases. Only three years in here that were down, but there have been many corrections of Apple over twenty five percent. So even though from you know January through December you haven't had a lot of down years. Intra year, you've had a lot of volatility during certain timeframes. So, um, you know, we, there's been a number of 25 to 30% corrections, 30 to 40% corrections, 40 to 45%, and then that one whopper during the financial crisis. So, you have to be prepared for even a great secular growth stock to go through periods of consolidation and build bases. And now the question is, how do you handle those periods? I've always been a swing trader. So I'm always trading in and out of stocks and I've always felt that I'm good enough to kind of time the highs and lows and really take full advantage. So selling into strength, buying into weakness and not suffer through major drawdowns. But the truth of the matter is, and this has particularly been the case with Tesla, I've really proven during like 2020, which was a year where I traded Tesla all year long. And at December 31st, I was completely out of the stock. So there was no long-term holding in that stock for me in 2020. And yes, I had a great year. That was my big recovery year. I was up just under 1400%, but I, half my money I gave to the government and I had to pay taxes. Uh, so it's really hard to overcome the tax burden, and even though I truly believe that the holy grail is being able to time your buys and sells and, and sell into peaks buy and buy into to you know low points. That that's the holy grail, but I don't believe it's possible to do it well on a consistent basis. So if you think about it, like. For you to get out of a stock um, within 10% of a high, what turns out to be a high point, that would be pretty good, right? I mean, that would be, I I think that you would call that a success. And if you can get back in within 10% of a low, I think that would be amazing. I don't even think that's really possible to do consistently. But if your stock only falls 20%, you're not going to, have any advantage going into something like that? So, really, I, I I've kind of come to the to the um, feeling that when you believe you have something that has massive secular growth that's that can turn into let's say the next Apple or bigger, um, you don't want to lose your core position. You don't want to overtrade it because the risk of missing it um, is it, it's, it's just not worth it. Trying to to time. So, with Apple, it was never obvious when Apple started its move in 2004 that it would become the biggest company in the world. Uh, The entire way up, there was fear, uncertainty, doubt. They had tons of competition. And you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, it started, no one knew about the iPhone in 2004, 2005. It wasn't until, I think, 2009 that they introduced it. so I don't want to make the same mistake with Tesla. Like, you know, what we see Tesla creating and in, uh, innovating and, and inventing now, we don't know what they're going to come up with in five or six years. There can be completely new products, things that we don't even know about. So um, so anyway, that is how I, I built this conviction in in Tesla. And again, um from a a very active trading style in 2020, what I I found was that I didn't really, all that swing trading didn't really give me an advantage. I mean, the fact that I was up 1400% as opposed to 700% for the stock itself, uh, really when you consider the fact that I was on margin the whole year, I didn't really have any advantage. You know, um, So that is so anyway, that's how I came to this conclusion. So, so what I'll do now is I'll I'll stop sharing this and I'm gonna ch- pull up the chart and we can talk about that. Beautiful. Um, so let's do this again. Okay, do you see it? Yes. All right, so Shane, um, so basically if I pull up a weekly chart here, um, over here, you can see my cursor moving? Yes. Yes. Okay, so this was the initial move of Tesla. This is where I, I made my first big money in Tesla um, I had a, a precedent for this pullback here. I was using First Solar as a precedent. I, I think I shared that in my trading. Yeah. Journey.
3: I remember. And
2: I, I ran it all the way up, and at this point, I was trading options. I mean, I was totally bulled up on the stock, and it 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 hit a limit. It 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 hit its high, and I thought it was going to go on and, and go up maybe another fifty to sixty maybe 100% from here, based on my precedent, but it didn't. And instead, it, it formed another base, and I lost a boatload of money here because I had a huge percentage of my account in options. So uh, that this was a painful period. It, it, what, turned out, what started out as an amazing year turned out to be painful for me. And I stuck with Tesla trying to swing trade it all during this period here. Um swing trading doesn't work out that well if you're not in an uptrend. You know, Tesla went through this long dormant period which um which I I really didn't expect. You know, I was uh I didn't think it would take this long for it to to really start moving. And so after losing multiple times on the stock, <clears throat> I really pretty much stopped following it. I kind of just didn't believe in it the way I did before until late 2019. So right around this period here is when I gave that presentation and I talked to Jim Ropel and he shared the Tony Seba video. And that's where I really said, oh my God, I have another chance and this is gonna be big. And so this is really where I started trading it again. So if I go back to the daily chart, Um, it was right around this period here uh, when Tesla really started moving huge. And even here, I was over-trading it. And and I, I do have a tendency when a stock is moving up in an explosive way to lock in my gains a little bit too early. And as Tesla developed and my conviction grew, I realized that I I have to just hold this one. I can't. I have to stop trading it so much. So um, you know, I, I did give back a a a good deal of the promise I had made on the initial run up during the COVID crash. But the COVID crash gave a brand new opportunity to get back in because it pretty much came right back down to the pivot. And if I don't know if I can. Um, go back a year, let's see. So this is when Tesla really took off and, and came out of this kind of cup with handle, had this explosive move up and then crashed along with everything else during COVID. And after this, you know, uh, you know, the market bottomed and you had a follow through somewhere in here on, on, the, on the general market, uh, you know, Chessa offered multiple buy points to get back in at these little areas of, um, you know, moving up over resistance here.
1: If I go forward a little bit more. Oops. Um, here we go. To July. Um, you know, formed, you know,
2: an early buy point here. It formed another buy point here. It you know, basically built a cup with handle. It it pretty much acted like a normal picture perfect stock, right? Um, the, the hard part was the runs were so big in such a short period of time, and the pullbacks were were so extreme, you know, after these big move after these big runs, it was. You know, I had a tendency, let's say, like up here. I, I know I don't know have the dates, but I could tell you for sure I was selling into the strength. But by the time the thing peaked up here, I was probably had a very small position and praying that it would pull back so I can get my position back. Again, all this trading, I, I would say on average, when a stock is running big like this and i'm selling into the strength again my tendency is to sell too much too early and so i'm learning to pace myself and sell less on the what you know early in in a run and more as, as things get extreme of course you never know how far a run is going to go you know but um i would say if anything that that's one of my weaknesses is that i I get excited, like, oh my gosh, look at all the money I'm making, and I do like to lock it in. And I'm, at least on Tesla, moving away from that, because I think we're still, even though it's had an enormous move over the past, uh, you know, since the end of 2019, I think we're still really early days, believe it or not. Again, Apple over an 18-year period was up You know, forty-six thousand percent through the end of last year. Tesla is up about twelve thousand percent. And again, I think their end uh, markets—they have multiple end markets that are um, that are going to be S curves. And Apple just had the iPhone. I mean, they're getting into other lines of business, but. Nothing like, like they haven't invented anything new really beyond the iPhone. You know, you've got the iPad, which is just a big iPhone. They've got the watch, but, you know, that's just not nearly as large um, as, you know, the energy markets and the auto markets are two of the biggest TAMs in the world. So Tesla has leadership positions in both of those in the the way things are moving. So... So yeah, re- really, I, I've changed my style a little bit with regard to um, with regard to how I'm trading Tesla. Again, I, I've always been a swing trader my whole career, with the objective of trying to just compound my gains as quickly as I can, and and that works great. I mean it's it's been a it's been a great career, you know. But trading actively like that. Uh, constantly you know pretty much day in day out it it does take its toll and in those rare periods where you find a super winner if you can um if you can just get a big piece of it and hold a core uh and really ride out what can turn out to be like a, a one of those monster stocks i think that's where you can make real life-changing moves and if you really look at you know Bill O'Neill's career and how you know where he made his big money it was really in just a handful of huge winners uh, you know like syntax but you know which was a developer of the birth control pill in the 60s he made huge money in pick and save during the 70s and price company which is now Costco he made huge money in Amgen um, uh, I believe is around 1990 um, when, when they came out with, with their um, I guess you know the, their therapeutics for um, to boost um, I, th- I think it was white blood cells uh, you anyway, know cancer treatments so um you know if you can and again we made huge money in Google we made big money in Apple but Really, you don't need to, you know, a hundred stocks to trade well to make huge money. It, you really only need to parlay a, f- a few huge winners together to really make literally a fortune. And so, it doesn't come, um, you know, these monster stocks. Um, you know, they don't come around all that often, and when they do, oftentimes we don't identify them quickly enough. So in those rare times when you come across one, you identify it, and you build the conviction early on, you don't want to mess it up. And so, you know, for me, having done well in Apple, you know, back when the move started, and again, you know, I made hundreds of percent on the stock, but nothing compared to, you know, tens of thousands of percent. And, And so... I I almost feel like I have a very clear vision of what's going to happen over the next decade, and it almost surprises me every day. You know when you know Tesla's really been through this, you know gone through this kind of sideways, pretty tough period now for about a year and a half, and it's you know consolidating huge gains from two thousand twenty still. Um, but I feel like it's almost on the cusp of people are starting to really figure it out, and I think there's this um, there's going to be a lot of good things happening, and you know, even in today's market, I mean, the stock is given the the performance of in what's happened in the speculative growth area this year. Tesla, you know, I would say even though it corrected about 50%, uh, you know, did pretty well compared to, you know, the Shopify's of the world and PayPal and Square, you know, stocks that were down 75%, 80 85% plus. Tesla, you know, I think held in there as well as, you know, some of the better ones. But it's been tough. It's been really tough. I, I can't lie. It's, this has not been a good year for me because... I maintained, you know, an oversized position that I I actually, you know, had to sell some because it was just, um, you know, it it was too much, and I I think I mentioned I got a margin call, so of all, you know, no one wants to admit to that, but it it happens. So um, anyway, I don't think as much as I did, but I still have a huge position, and I think that I'm hoping the second half starts us off, you know,
3: something better than the first half very cool I have a follow-up question if that's okay yeah of course I, it's kind of in two parts so number one you know like if, if you study if you study historical market winners a lot of the true market leaders in one cycle will not lead in the next cycle and anybody going off that sort of thinking really missed this last really big bull market in Tesla because it had a massive run right before the covid crash and then it it went down like 60 or 70 percent in that crash which was to me it looked like it had a big climax top before the drop and then it fell so much that it was a little bit off my radar and I was kind of slow to really realize it was really showing a lot of relative strength and then I kind of mishandled that next whole I mean I I, I got a piece of it but um, I so I guess two, two, two questions is like how did you realize you really had still a lot of conviction after that huge drop during the COVID crash and then and then, and then the second part really is, you know, I'm looking at it right now on a monthly chart, Tesla, and, you know, it's it's been sort of basing for about nine months now, um, and the relative strength is starting to look really good. It's starting to look a lot better. Um, it's it's really kind of handled this bear market pretty well, considering the move it's had in the past. And I I guess it would be just really cool for you to talk about the precedent with Apple because, if you didn't use charts. And if you didn't study past historical true market leaders, you would think that there's no way that Tesla could double again or triple again or go up 10x from here because it just looks like it's come so far, thousands of percent. But when you use a precedent like Apple, it's really important knowing that it still could be really early in its move.
2: Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, that's the point of, of trying to find monster precedents and realize, I mean, there's not very many stocks that, can lead for two decades, like Apple has. And I remember one of the reasons why Apple, why I I lost my conviction was that, you know, when Apple started this move, it was maybe, it maybe had a 20 or $25 billion market cap. And uh, again, this is pre-iPhone. And, you know, as the company started to move up and, you know, went up several hundred percent, they were now larger than Hewlett Packard and larger than Compact and larger than all these other, you know, all these other computer makers put together. And I was thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. How can this little niche player that has, you know, four or five percent market share be bigger than all of the other computer companies? Like, it didn't make sense to me. And so I, I, I thought, well, this can't continue. And, you know, I bailed out. Much earlier than than I ever, you know, I never thought the stock could turn into what it's turned into, and that's really the same story now uh, going on with Tesla. Their market cap is is uh, you know larger than you know the next five or ten auto companies put together, and their market share is a tiny sliver of you know whatever one or two percent of of Cars, But you can see that, we're, that we, we're beyond the tipping point. EVs are taking over in a huge way. And just like that Tony Siba photograph of the New York fair when the automobile took over the horse and buggy, that is what we're in for over the next decade. That is how quickly the adoption is going to be. A lot, A lot of the legacy automakers are saying... Um, that you know, by uh, 2030, you know, half their cars are gonna be electric or uh, I, I don't think they realize that I think ten years from now, you won't be buying ice vehicles. Everything will be electric.
1: Uh,
2: and so Tesla is the only company that's ready for this I, I, other than new electric, like a lot of some of the Chinese makers that have no legacy business and they and they, they were created as EV companies. I think that is really where you're going to see the leadership. And again, I think Tesla's going to lead. So um, it, it almost, to me, this looks like it's exactly playing out kind of the way Apple did, except that Tesla's got multiple markets to sell into and that they're creating. Um, there was no, uh, I mean, Apple did not create the smartphone, but their take on it was, was you know, revolutionary. Ba- basically, you know, having an app store where your phone became more and more valuable and more and more useful over time, as opposed to all other electronics that lose functionality and lose value an iPhone actually gets better. And that's similar to Tesla, to the car. The car actually gets better over time. You know, they send you updates over the air. They send you new features. um, So your car becomes more capable. And once they figured out um, full self-driving, which I have every confidence that they eventually will, uh, I think that's going to be a complete game changer. So, um, so yeah, using that, that, the Apple precedent, um, it, it, that's really been a godsend for me. Again, assuming that I'm right and that things play out that way, you know, Tesla's still at the very early stages of this EV adoption. I mean, look, there's, again, they've, They've got a teeny weeny mar- overall market share, but um, last year, last I think in California last month, or, or okay, I heard I heard the stat on CNBC that they've sold more uh, Model wise than I think any other um, model of car, EV or ICE vehicle. So I mean, it's interesting. A, a year or two ago, I used to. Drive from. I had an apartment. Uh, I was going back between a, a house and an apartment, and I would count Teslas on the way home, <laughs> between between residences, and you know maybe I would count you know five or ten. You know I was always trying to, to find more, and now I I'm on, I, I find five or ten in two blocks uh, in the community I'm currently living in. It seems like every third person owns one. So I mean. We're seeing the adoption right in front of our eyes, and I know we're in California, where this is really the the hub of EB, EVs. But it's um, it it's going to accelerate, and I think an astonishing pace. And um, I think it's going to catch a lot of people off guard. I think it already is. So um, yeah, yeah for sure. so, so so to answer your question, Shane, yeah, it, the stock has been consolidating. All year during really, a, this has been a devastating period in the market. Maybe not so much for the averages, but within you know, kind of under underlying the averages, the growth sectors have really gotten creamed uh, as bad as they've ever gotten hit. And so the damage was much more severe than the indices kind of represented. I think a lot of that is because there was so much rotation during the year into different sectors that did hold up better, like, um, you know, for a time, you know, energy was, uh, you know, oil stocks, energy stocks were doing very well. Material stocks are doing well. Some of the industrials are doing well. Shipping, transportation stocks are doing well. So, I mean, there were places to hide and places to benefit, which I think masks a lot of the damage to the growth sectors. So, all in all, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Tesla's consolidating. The earnings are still ramping. Um, and, you know, they're showing no slowdown in growth. Um, at least n- no slowdown uh, kind of given, given uh, kind of their pure growth. They, they you know, last uh, quarter, you know, they weren't able to make cars in China, which is one of their primary factories, uh, due to COVID. So, um, but that, that, that situation's now being repaired and changing. So, yeah, I, I think people, I, I, that's why that, that Apple chart, if you pull up a a monthly chart of Apple, uh, you know, any of our listeners do that, you can see that, yeah, you know, you're going to have some dormant periods in there, but on a stock that can become, um, fully dominant in multiple sectors it's going to take more than one or two years for that to play out huge monster growth stocks take many years to to ultimately play out uh whether we're talking about you know stocks like amazon which has you know been a leader for 20 years apple um visa mastercard you know these types of stocks um can lead for a long, long period of time. And that's not to say that there won't be other stocks that perform better in any given year. But again, how often you come across a stock that you have so much conviction in that you believe that even if it goes through a, a pullback or a correction, that it will come out of it. Um, it's, it's rare to have that much conviction. So when you have it, you have to play it in a big way. Um, Shane, I know you have more questions for Charles. I just want to, for
0: those who are coming into the space, I just want to give you guys some context. I discovered Charles Harris. Personally, I had not heard of him before his Trader's Journey talk, which was a IBD-level uh, for master's program that he did back in 2019. If you haven't listened to Charles's talk, please do yourself a favor and listen to it. Uh, His vulnerability, his honesty about his journey as a trader is just really palpable, and I really felt it was going to be a value. Uh, My focus, of course, is on uh, the mindset, the emotional intelligence for traders. My team and I at the Wall Street Coach focus on that. I felt uh, Charles spoke to that in such a powerful way in that talk. Uh, We did do this part one last week, so be sure to catch that. Today we're getting a little more granular, uh, thanks to Shane uh, Dorian being here because of his own experience as a trader. Uh, And Shane, I know you had other questions for Charles around his Traders Journey talk. I'm curious uh, if you'd be willing to ask some of those, and then we'll ask some of the public to traders that are in the room to ask their questions
3: yeah i mean i i mean i guess it really does play mostly into the mindset as we all know as traders it's such a huge part of the formula of being a successful trader is having the right mindset and and for me personally and i'm sure a lot of the listeners on here can relate um you know what, like i've had multiple times when i've developed incredible conviction in a company tesla being one of them apple being another one of them my personal super short Story is um, I bought the original Apple click wheel iPod in 2003 or 2004 and it, the, th- the thing changed my life. Like all of a sudden I had 100 CDs worth of songs on this little thing smaller than my phone and it was a complete game changer and I bought Apple stock that week and I held it for like three and a half years And during that time i discovered the canceling system and then i that i i I had so much conviction in apple stock but i ended up starting to trade it a little bit too much because i didn't want to lose my gains anyway i guess my my i guess my real question is once you develop real conviction in a game-changing true market leader like an apple or a tesla or like an Amazon or a Google, like one of these like emerging great American technology companies, um, how to how to hold for the long term? Like for me, holding anything longer than like eight weeks is 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 a huge <coughs> a huge. Win. So like once I held Amazon for eighteen months, and that was that was like a game changer for me. It was one of my biggest winners of all time. And I, I, I guess for for me the question is, how do you develop? Holding power once you have real conviction in a stock when there's a lot of volatility in some of these technology names
2: Yeah um, so First off uh, up until this year I I've never had a long-term capital again in, in 25 years of plus 25 plus years of trading so um, So this is new for me having having the conviction to hold for a long-term capital gain is is completely new for me. Um, and again, I, I will say that I don't really consider myself um, a great long-term stock picker. I mean, I, there's been many companies that I believed have been, you know, the real thing, and they never played out to be, you know, to, to be that. Um, I think... It, that's one one of I think Bill O'Neill's gifts was he, he truly was a great stock picker, and again, you only need a handful of those to change your entire life. So, you know, one of the benefits of trading and, and particularly, being in a in a shop like um, at O'Neill's is that we have the benefit of. Um, the resources to study the, the, the biggest winners of all time. In fact, our entire system and methodology is based on the biggest winners over the you know past century. So, you know, that is one thing that's very helpful. And again, like finding precedents and similarities to guide you uh, as to what, what is the true potential of a stock and what can happen in some of these moves. So, um, you know, one thing I do is I, I keep a, a, a kind of a, a notepad of um, like a Word document of why am I holding the stock? Why do I have conviction? Because you're right, in the heat of the moment when your stock corrects, you know, 30 or 40 percent uh, and it's, it looks terrible and maybe the news is bad. You, we have a tendency to to react emotionally instead of look back and see what you know. Well, why am I in this to begin with? And so I keep that I, I keep that handy, and I refer to it, and I say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." These are all the reasons. Has anything changed? Well, no. Actually, they've they've only gotten better. And so that is one of the things that that keeps me um, that, that's kind of keeping me going. And the fact that I mean, I did get in early. You know, I was fortunate enough to get in early and, and make a, a great deal of money on the stock. So even with the stock, you know, down, you know, let's say thirty percent off its highs, I've still, um, i I'm still in a different place than I was a few years ago. So you know, I have, I have some cushion. To withstand uh, this kind of, um, you know, damage, but yeah, I, I think it's you. You just have to remind yourself and and keep keep going back to your notes of you know what is the basis for your conviction, and you know that this kind of you know holding a big winner it only works if you pick the right stock, right? I mean, if you pick the wrong stock, you're not going to do too well. So it's um, <laughs> yes, it it so. And again, I can't say that I've. This has been a, re- a successful strategy for me over time because, again, I've I've always been a swing trader, and I've and I've always been successful doing it. But again, it does take its toll. Uh, you know, being an active trader day in, day out. And again, when you, I I wouldn't recommend this for any old stock. Only for the ones that you truly identify as ones that have the potential. To be something really special, and 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 hopefully you, you're right on it. Again, I I haven't had a great record of that other than other than Tesla. You know, most of the my biggest winners were really, you know, trades that maybe lasted, um, you know, six months to to maybe a year. I, I did very well in home builders uh, when when the market turned in. Um, let me see. The peak was around 2005. I think that trade started in around 2011. I, I made a great deal of money looking for a, a turn in housing, and that that was a trade that was uh, over 12 months. But um, but no, you, usually I would say the way I've been successful in the past has been swing trading. You know, many many different stocks, taking you know 20 percent out of this one, 30 percent out of that one and compounding my gains that way and it's and it's great but um again you have to be on all the time and you're going to pay a lot of money in taxes in a taxable account that's really hard to get ahead um when at the end of the year you you give half of it away so uh, so yeah th- this has kind of been a different situation for me and my plan has been to kind of hold my core position in tesla and if i'm right and if it continues to work over time as i build equity in my account that that allows me to swing trade other stocks so it's not like it's not my only position but um but it's the only one i'm handling in this way
0: thank you so much charles um just for context, Charles is a portfolio manager at O'Neill Capital Management with over 20 years of experience in finance. Uh, his conversation talk, called to Trader's Journey, is just an incredible eye-opening talk about just the costs that traders pay uh, on an emotional level uh, and also just on a physical level. And I wonder, Charles, if you would just talk about What it's been like since you released that talk for you uh, to, as you've heard from traders, what what is it that has surprised you the most about the responses you've received?
2: Um, yeah, thanks for that, Kim. But I should also make one quick correction. I'm actually technically um, a portfolio manager at O'Neill Global Advisors. Oh, thank you, Kim. Management. Um, Yes. Yeah. the response has been, you know, incredibly gratifying because I think we can all relate to um, to making mistakes in the market and, and having and having drawdowns and losing our discipline. Um, it it's hard to be a consistent winner in the market, and I can't really say that I've I've been a consistent winner in my personal account. I've I've gone through long periods of. Great performance, but I've also had a number of very large drawdowns that have taken a toll. And it's, you know, I've, I've done really well o- over my career, but had I limited some of these drawdowns, uh, I would have um, avoided a lot of, you know, emotional pain and, and my pocketbook would be a, quite a bit bigger. So it, it's been good, but. There's certainly room for improvement. And I think everyone can relate to that because we all want to be consistent winners in the end. And the very, you know, elite traders who can be consistent year in, year out are, are pretty rare, but we can all do it. And I think one of the, I think one reason why maybe the, the presentation resonated with people is one, people can relate to it. And two, it, it gives a little bit of hope because this is, this wasn't the first time that I've had a, a, a big drawdown. And um, I, I mean, I never, never had one as big as you know, I, the one I shared in the presentation, but, um, but I have had, you know, other, other drawdowns that were pretty serious and I've always been able to come back and reach new heights. And so there's always that possibility to To improve and to learn and to come back, as long as you maintain a stake and eventually, you know, cut your losses and and calm down and 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 regroup. So you know, the market's always there. There's always going to be opportunities uh, if you're in the right frame of mind. And so you know, the market, in a way, can be very is very difficult, but it, it can also be forgiving it in a way if you can kind of control yourself so that it's, it's been a really positive response um i've really appreciated people's you know people have said it's, it's been really nice um
0: you, you say in
2: that talk there's a
0: part where you talk about reflection awareness and growth led me to this so of course, I'm an advocate and it comes as no surprise to you uh, that I think that reflection and awareness and growth is the foundation of any successful trader. What do you think stops traders, even sophisticated traders, from realizing the importance of that self-awareness, reflection and growth?
2: I think... Um... I think having, I think we have a tendency to focus more on when we're going through a difficult period on what we're doing wrong. Because that's easy to figure out what we're doing wrong Uh, if you do a post analysis um, and you you usually find that you you repeat a lot of those errors. But I, I think what we don't focus on is why are we doing, why do we keep making the same mistakes? Uh, you know why do we keep revisiting those errors? Um, I think I mentioned last week that you know when I look over my trading notes over 20 years, you know I, I kind of keep a trading journal at times, and I keep reflecting and 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 writing the same thing to myself in, in all these periods. So the question is like, well, why? You know I knew I knew what not, I knew what rule not to break. A long time ago. Why do I keep breaking this rule? And I think that's really where we need to sometimes spend more time. And I think for me, what I, I talk about in my presentation, and, and upon a lot of reflection, was I I think I, in a sense, un, unconsciously sabotaged my own success because I didn't feel worthy of that kind of success. Uh, I mean that that that's that's how you know that's what I came up with for myself I think we all have our own demons and there might be different um, you know things b- behind why why other people make errors uh, or make the same errors over and over but I think a lot of people have limiting beliefs about themselves that prevent them from having super success in the market or, or prevent them from getting beyond a certain point I mean you hear often that, There are investors or traders that you know they they can trade grade up to a certain level, and then they can't seem to exceed you know some upper limit. You know maybe whatever whatever that number is, they they um they have a difficult difficulty getting over it. Um, And there shouldn't really you should never theoretically there's no reason why you can't just keep growing and growing and growing. So I think these are all internal limiting beliefs that we have and having an awareness of, you know, what you're doing, why you're, and maybe why you're doing it. It's, it's, you know, it takes a lot of work. I mean, for me, I, it, it working with a therapist is how I, I kind of learned a lot about myself and my motivations and my, my own limiting beliefs. So um, I think we all, we can all come come can come from it from a, from a different place. But again, focusing on why we're doing things as opposed to what we're doing wrong is, is more important. Because again, the, what we're doing wrong is easy. I mean, if we all, I think I said this in the presentation, if, if all it took to become a consistent winner was knowing what to do and what not to do, it'd be, a, it'd be simple because the rules of trading, the, the fundamental rules of trading are, are pretty simple right you know cut your losses quick ride your winners trade in line with the market um you know none of these are that's not brain surgery to 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 be able to follow these rules but knowing them and following them consistently uh without any hesitation and with the conviction and courage and confidence you know to do it to do it right it, it you know that's that's the that's the the mindset you need. And that's what's having the right psychology and the mindset that that's where that's what separates the elite traders, I think, from everyone else.
0: Are you okay to stay with us a little longer for us to get some questions from those who are our listeners? Okay, thanks for doing that. You too, Shane, you're okay to stay. I think his microphone is muted. Um, hopefully, Shane, you can stay too. Just to give you guys some context, this is a part two conversation with Charles Harris. Uh, Shane Dorian is co-hosting me. Uh, Shane is obviously very famous for being a big quade surfer, but he has also been uh, over H- how many years has it been, Shane, that you've been coaching for? I'm sorry, been trading for.
3: Um, I've been tra- I've been trading the CanSlam system since two thousand and five.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what we did last week, if you guys missed it, we did part one with Charles uh, talking about his amazing conversation uh, and presentation called the Trader's Journey. And I strongly advise you guys listen to that because it's really an incredible uh, hero's journey. It's a trader's journey, but it's it's your hero's journey, Charles. Um, I'm kind of curious if anybody listening to us here has questions about what Charles talks about in his trader's journey uh, presentation, or just for Charles in general, uh, around his mindset and how he was able to handle such an incredibly huge loss and come back. I think that's uh, worth a lot of time and effort for every trader to pay attention to. And you being so honest, Charles, is uh, pretty profound so thank you for being so honest in that presentation we have jade here and hopefully jade you can hear me and please ask your question for can you hear me okay yep we sure can okay um i can thank you for the platform and shane and charles for the knowledge that you have imparted um so i have two questions for charles first is um do you think that the characteristics of a trader which help him or her achieve crazy returns are the same characteristics that would make a trader lose a lot or become a bust. And then in the second one is a uh, in a bear market, market correction or sideways market, do you believe that a trader that mainly trade on the long side should um avoid the market to save mental capital, adapt and be able to trade on the short side or trade in a small position um relative to his or her normal size to get just to get a feel for the market and be quick to know if it shifts again? Thank you
2: Thanks Jay. those are good questions. Let me start let me do the first the second question first. Um, yeah I, I am primarily uh, oriented toward long positions and they say that traders are imprinted with how they first made money. So I started trading in the in the 90s, mid to late 90s, which was you know in the midst of a great bull market. And so I made money trading long side. Uh, I I have friends who are traders who are made money, made their first you know killing in the market on the short side, and it seems like they're always looking, um, lo- you know looking for bear markets. So I think we're, you know it's natural to to um, to to kind of move toward where you you've had success in the past. Uh, Jesse Livermore said it's not the bull side or the bear side, but the right side. So we should all be flexible enough to um, to trade on the long side and trade on the short side. But I don't know very many people that do that well. Um, even Bill O'Neill was primarily oriented toward the long side. So to answer your question, I think if, if you' fle- if, if you have the mental flexibility, to trade both sides, uh, yeah, then I, I think um, you can you can have success doing both, but I don't know a lot of people who are who have who've been able to do that. So I think I would specialize in, in you know what you're good at. And if you're good at the long side and making money in bull markets, then I think Taking a break when the market's in a correction or trading really small uh, is probably the way to go. Um, trading long uh, with size in a in in a bear market is um, is not going to be a successful strategy because you're putting the odds against you, and and you're going to have many more stocks that go down than go up, even even though the setups might look the same when they start out. The odds are just not in your favor so um, so anyway I think that might answer the, that question and your first question had to do with the character the characteristics that make um, someone uh, be able to have you know <clears throat> some profound success you know making big returns. Are those same characteristics that maybe might cause blowups? That's a really uh, interesting question. Um, no, no doubt. In order to have really big returns, you have to be willing to risk. Um, but I would, I wouldn't say you, you you're you're willing to gamble necessarily. I mean, you can, you know, if you have um, discipline and rules and sell rules you can mitigate your risk. Um, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, just going all in on something on a, on a whim is, you know, that, that's not gonna be a successful strategy over time, but it, no doubt, I mean, the, the very, very successful traders that I know who have had, you know, um, you know triple digit or larger returns um, over multiple years, um, have traded in pretty big size and aren't afraid to trade on margin. Um, and I don't necessarily think that uh, it, it's like a foregone conclusion that if you, if you trade with that kind of risk and size that you have to suffer a, a huge drawdown. It's just that when you're having that kind of success, um, <clears throat> it's very easy to... To kind of, for your your ego to get to a point where you just think you're invincible and you begin to relax those rules and relax your discipline so that, uh, you know, the, the market kind of clobbers you over the head until you, your ego shrinks back down. But I don't, it's not, I don't think it's necessary. I think if you, one of the things I talk about when I, I used to give a presentation on trading psychology is if... Um, you know I, I log all my trades and i could see you know when um, i start going from you know a huge winning streak i'll see in in, in the loss column you know multiple losses and if you can uh, i always say if you can stay within maybe 15% of your all time highs or at least get off margin when you when you're you know 15% off your highs you probably don't have to suffer such a huge drawdown. Uh, I mean, the the causes of my big drawdowns are really a lack of discipline and um, really breaking breaking rules and, that that I knew better, but I just um, thought I can get away with it, or just I, I didn't I didn't appreciate the risk I was taking. So I don't. I I think you can have huge returns. And uh without having gigantic drawdowns. I mean you're you're gonna obviously have some drawdowns, right? If you're if you're concentrated and on margin, yeah, you're gonna have drawdowns, but there's a, a difference between a drawdown and a blow up. So I don't think I think they're mutually exclusive. Anybody else have any questions for
0: Charles? Just uh raise your hand and I'll get to you. Shane, what were some of those other questions that you had that we weren't able to get to in the podcast, which we've recorded before this Twitter space. So please everyone keep an eye out for this full interview that will release next week on my podcast called the wall street coach.
3: Yeah, Kim, are you, are you asking me? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. If, if no one else has a question, uh, um, I, I guess mine is, Mine is a little bit less about mindset and more technical, Charles. um, You know, this is our first real bear market in quite a long time. I mean, the the COVID bear market was technically a bear and it was pretty savage, but this being our first real, sort of longer real bear market, and for especially technology and software and some of the, the, you know, the (coughs) names that we kind of focus in, it's been a horrible bear market for a pretty long time now. Um, And, you know, I get excited in bear markets because, you know, all the, you know, the, the future leaders start setting up and we start seeing, you know, themes and sectors showing relative strength that we see big volume, um, you know, starting to come into those sectors. I just was curious if there's anything that's on your mind as far as like, then if there is going to be a next leg up in the next couple of months or the next year or whatever it is, it could be tomorrow. Right. So um, I guess I'm just curious, I, I want to, I'd like to know if you're seeing some sector themes, um, you know, that are, that are, you know, that are exciting going forward besides Tesla.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, the, the composure of the market has, has changed a lot. And I mean, honestly, I, have been kind of bullish all the way down, um, because, the secondary indicators have, have been sh- showing signs of being oversold for from actually for months and so i i've been surprised by the weakness and again i I've, I've been hurt you know just just holding tesla you know has been painful um and i never imagined we we'd have the the level of damage that we did have but i think i mean like this is just my opinion but I think, uh, you know, the levels, the, the contrarian indicators were so oversold um, over, over these past four or five months, uh, and I, I think that we may have seen the lows in the market. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by, this is again my own personal opinion, uh, it's not, not the firm's opinion or anything, it's just my own personal opinion. Uh, it, it won't be surprising to see a retest of at least maybe the 50-day moving average, but I don't think enough people bought into the fact that things are, have been getting better. So, I mean, I, I will not be surprised if we can c- continue to move up. We're still below the 200-day moving average, so that's going to offer some resistance. Um, or at least I'm looking at the NASDAQ right now. So that might be an obvious area of resistance, Whereas the 50-day moving average, which is now moving, trending up, will, will be an area of, of support. So those are the things I'm looking at technically. With regard to like kind of individual sectors or stocks, yeah, I mean, there's, it, you're starting to see stocks, um, you know, break out and, you know, in the growth category. And so like some of the stocks I've traded in my own personal account. Other than Tesla, have been um, Celsius, C E L H, is a stock that I own in my personal account that I I like. Um, Shockwave is a it, you know these are these are like kind of the early breakout stocks that, that um, showed you know showed strength in in poor market conditions that were the first to lift off and break out post follow through and those are places where you often find your next big leaders so um so i and there's a quite a few stocks now it's not that hard to kind of create a screen and come up with a lot of stocks that are uh near proper pivot points or have already broken out and maybe, you know, I'd be looking for pullbacks to maybe um, to either add positions or even initiate positions if you've missed them. Um, I'm still, you know, um, I don't know that I recommend going full force you know, at this point. You still, the mar- you know, a lot of stocks are is getting a little bit extended. So um, you always want to have that discipline of not buying extended from a from a kind of a proper pivot, but there's plenty to put on a list, and I, I think, um, you know, it's hard for for those who have been sitting in cash waiting for the opportunity. It's always hard to get into the market after a bear market, and this has been um, a, a pretty a pretty bad one, you know, particularly again in, as you mentioned in technology and, and software, and so if. If the rally is for real, and we have seen the lows, and and maybe we're on the cusp of, of a of a serious uptrend, there'll be time to get into the markets. So you don't need to get in on that first day. You don't need to be pushing too hard right at the beginning. There'll be there'll be time to get in and to find leadership. So, but you do have to take that first step and take a risk. I mean, there's no there's there's always, there's always risks that, that you're going to lose. So um, you know I say put your toe in the water, get started, get a few wins under your belt, get your confidence going and um, and then try to find those stocks that you believe have the potential to, to really be something. Uh, and those are usually you know the first ones to pop up are the ones with the highest relative strength. And they have the the end and cancel them. The you know the new. They've got a great story. They've got a new product, a new service. Um, you know uh, something that's defensible that no one else has. First mover advantage. Um, a big market opportunity. You know, try to Thank identify. You. Thank those. you so much, Charles.
0: Just context. This is part two, guys, of a conversation that we're having with Charles Harris. Uh, part one was last week so please do listen to that because there's really different information in the first conversation that charles gave us last week the wall street coach is my podcast that's where you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts if you're enjoying this conversation uh please tweet out to your followers that it's happening right now we had uh, 300 people in our Twitter space last time waiting for us, and we had a lot of tech issues. So we, we're coming back, and we have a different focus today. We do have a couple of questions. I'm going to start to add some speakers here to ask their question. Mark Bias, you've been waiting for a while. Uh, what's your question for Charles? And thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah. I'm you, Mike, you got it. Great. Hi, thanks. Kim
2: and Shane and Charles. Uh, thanks for hosting this. Um, Charles, um I saw your presentation, it was brilliant. I mean, for a lot of us who go through losses, it's it's real and it's tough to get out of it. Um, I guess my question is, how do you deal with, for example, you know, May and June of this year where the spy goes up five percent, you think you're gonna get in, it drops eleven percent, you get in and then it goes up five percent.
3: This kind of back and forth that really kills um, you know, your willingness to get engaged with the market
2: yeah mark it's been it's been a it's been a tough year. well, you know i'm I'm a very contrary trader, so you know i we always feel good to buy when things are up, right? and that's just normal and when things are down we're we're afraid. and I usually turn that on his head and if if um you know something's coming in, but you're in the context of a of an uptrend or supporting action. I'll I'll try to flip it on its head and buy it when something's coming in, and maybe pair things went into the strength. So I, I, I'm you know as a swing trader, that's always what you want to do. But you know, we've been in a there ha, you know even though we, we there's there's been enormous volatility this year, there haven't been that many follow throughs that have that have um you know that have worked or or that you know. Where we've had, you never want to really get involved in when you're in a bear market and things, you know, things have broken through support, and you're having this crazy volatility, without that follow through day. So, you know, that's um, something that that uh, you know Bill O'Neill kind of made part of his methodology on the general market, where yeah, you you can have a huge up day, but that's not enough. You need a follow through, like a confirmation of that strength before you dip your toe in the water. So kind of waiting for a follow through day will help you, um, will kind of prevent you from from being in in the midst of the tremendous volatility where it's, you know, you're up 5% one day, down 8% the next day and so forth. But even follow through days fail. So uh, again, you always have to know that when you're entering a market, you're going to take some risk. And early on in a rally, on let's say a follow through day, you want to um, you know limit your exposure and kind of get your feet wet. But you don't want to put so much out there that if you do have a, a follow through failure, that you're going to you know lose another ten percent of your account or something. So you, you you start off small early in a rally until things settle. You know, a good market is is really one defined by higher highs and higher lows. And you can kind of trust the pullbacks and trust support areas. Uh, we haven't really been in that all year until re- really it's starting to feel that way now. And it's still, you know, the rally is still quite nascent. We're, we're early in the rally. So, uh, you know, this early part of the... The year, you know, up until the, these past few weeks, haven't really offered that kind of higher high, higher high low kind of uh, market, and so you want to either stay away from those or trade them really small because you can trade anything in a small way and not get hurt too bad. And I, I always have my toe in the market, even even if it's a bad market. I usually have some positions on just so that. I kind of keep my feel for the market. Um, somehow when, when I'm fully in cash, which is pretty rare, um, you kind of lose your sense of um, what's really going on. It, it, even when you're losing, having that kind of feeling that pain is informing you of something. And I, 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 like, I kind of like to always um, have that firsthand feel of, of, of what's going on. But... Yeah. um, You know, when you're in that extreme volatility, you you don't want to be taking big positions until you've had some confirmation that the rally, that a new rally may be starting.
0: Thank you so much, Charles. Diego, I know you had a question and we're waiting for a long time. I don't see you now, still requesting. uh, Stu, I'm going to get you in the room. And just a shout out, last week's uh, Twitter space and podcast interview with Charles Harris, Stu saved the day for us because he recorded it. So Charles, uh, please, uh, let's hear your questions, Stu, for Charles. And just unmute your mic. On the bottom left, Sue, is the microphone, so just... Okay, Stu. Stu, I don't know if you know Uh, each other now. So hi, Charles. Um,
1: Thanks, Kim. Sorry, I've got a bit of delay um, coming in, chiming in from New Zealand.
3: Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
1: Um, Hi. Look, I'd like to thank you first um, for the talk. Um, I found it during a a drawdown, and it really did help um, frame things for me and inspire me. Um, So that was fantastic. Uh, My question is in. Relation to the circuit breakers that you operate under in your um, professional capacity as a for- portfolio manager, um, so that's uh, limits in terms of percentages for where you cut size, um, and uh, or have to stop trading altogether. Thanks.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think it's really important to have some circuit break. breakers, um for your own trading. Because we, again, we, have t- we all have a tendency to, depending on our state of mind, to kind of break rules or make exceptions. And, and that can be very dangerous. They, you know, they say that discipline trumps convictions. So um, I mentioned one in one of those last questions that uh, I think it's important to stay within, uh, in general, if you can stay within 15%, of your all-time highs, then you'll never lose too much confidence. It's hard to do if you if you trade very aggressively and in a, in a concentrated way um, and using leverage. That's not easy to do, but even if you can um, stay within 20% of a high, you can make that back relatively quick if you're in the right market conditions. It's when you start to come off more than 20%, I think um, you start to kind of enter a, a different zone where it, it's like psychologically difficult to come back. And, um, you know, depending on the size you're trading, it, 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 it might that might affect you too, just the amount of money. So um, what I would, I don't always do this, but what I would recommend is that if you're off 15% off your highs, you get off margin at the very least. And if you continue to lose, um, continue to sell down, uh, and just realize you're out of sync, or at least figure out why you're losing. Um, chances are, whenever I whenever I have a drawdown, it's always because the market's gone into a correction. Uh, it's rare that I'm not trading in sync in an uptrend. I'm almost always making money. It's not. Um, I'm usually not out of sync during an uptrend. It's just. I'm one of those guys who are a little bit slow to realize when conditions have changed and I'm always looking at every pullback as kind of an opportunity. But once you've broken through levels of support, and you should always identify those on on a chart. Um, and, it, you know, you, you need to take a step back. And, again, what's been really helpful for me as well is that I, I log all my trades. So... When I'm, when I'm on, I'll just see, you know, lines of green over and over and over. I, I mean, I might have 50 trades in a row where I made money every trade. But when I start losing, I'll start to see red. In fact, I've coded the cells. So when I start to see those losses pile up, um, I would like to think that I ha- always had the strength to say, hey, something's different. I need to take a step back. I do have like, I mean, I programmed in, e- even like when I hit, let's say I'm down, I'm not sure what the percent is, I think when I'm down 10%, a message pops up on my computer telling me to get off margin. I don't always listen to it, I have to be honest with you, that that's where I need to kind of follow my rules a little bit better, I'm always thinking that, oh, well, you know, this time it's gonna be different, I've got, I've, I've really got something here. But um, I think keeping within striking distance of your highs at all times is the best way, one, not, not to lose too much money, but always, you'll always be in a confident state of mind and you won't have to regain that confidence, which takes, takes a little bit of time you know, when, I'm, when, when you re-enter. So, uh, so that's what I would do, is just always stay within striking distance of your highs and i would define that as 15 to 20 percent awesome thank you for that uh, question
0: captain hindsight what a great name that is has a question uh make sure you unmute your mic and thanks for listening in this will be released next week everybody uh the wall street coach podcast is where you'll get to listen to this again uh, and part one is already released. We released that about two days ago. So be sure to listen to Charles's first part. So Captain Hindsight, what's your question for Charles?
1: Yeah, hi. Uh, thank you for taking <laughs> my call. Um, my uh, question is just, um, I guess, a little bit uh, technical. I'm sorry if you've addressed it earlier. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a subscriber to one of these services that gives uh, trade setups and so forth. And statistically, Uh, they always say that you should take all the trades, um, you know, every week, let's say there's 10 trades or six trades a day, whatever. Um, But a lot of times I think that maybe if I focused on a few trades, the ones that feel right to me and went in larger, that would make more sense and I'd have less of a drawdown. Uh, I just wanted to kind of see from your experience, uh, your career, kind of how did you go about it? or Where did you find the most success? Kind of throwing a, a casting a wide net and then seeing what works and you know, getting rid of the losers and holding on to the winners and so forth or really kind of limiting it and concentrating it more. That's all I have. Thank you.
2: Uh, okay, that's, that's a good question. Well, as I mentioned, I've always been a swing trader. So I've always, in the past, you know, up until really the past few years, I've I've traded a lot of stocks and, and traded a lot of setups, but I think um, traders spend way too much time focusing on the technicals and not enough time focusing on the fundamentals and building conviction. Uh, it's always easy to find a setup. I mean, I, I could find I can find twenty setups a day, easy. By running a simple screen, uh, but you can't. I can't trade all. All I can't put a good amount of money into each of those trades. I, I need to pare them down to one or two of the ones I like the most. Some of those. Some of those reasons will be technical. You know, will be based on is there accumulation in the chart? You know, do I see? Is there something in the chart that I really love that is leading me to believe that this one is going to outperform? So some of it's technical. But a lot, great deal of it is is fundamental, and uh, you know, not just the sales, the earnings, you know, the numbers and so forth. But I I put a lot of focus into the story. Uh, you know, Bill O'Neill would say that you know you should be able to know within one or two sentences, be able to explain why something is great and and why it should be great. I'm not, my my objective is almost never to trade a stock just for the pop. Uh, I kind of used to do that many years ago. I would just, you know, I'd, I'd be in and out, in and out constantly. Now when I trade a stock, I mean, I, I actually don't screen every day. I, I would say I screen about once a week because once I have a list of stocks that I like, that I believe in, and that I've done the research to build conviction in, you know that, that there's a lot of effort that goes into that, and um, and I'll trade the, that that group of stocks uh, until until they start to fail, or until you know a few a few fail, and then I'll replenish the list because obviously not every stock you trade is going to be a winner. But I think there's too much emphasis on on the technicals and not enough on the research to build conviction on, you know, well, why should the stock work? I I will never, almost never trade on the chart alone. There always has to be a fundamental reason or something in the story to kind of get me to to buy a stock because if you don't really know why you're buying it, like why the company should go up, how are you going to handle it during times of stress or a pullback or even a normal pullback? Um, it'll be very difficult. So I think, you know, there's, you know, is, um, you know, the O'Neill methodology, you know, we have the general market as one component, one leg of the stool. You've got the fundamentals, which is another leg. And then you've got the technicals. And I think all three are really important to have in line if you're going to put the odds in your favor. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, there's way too many stocks out there to, you know, trade all of them. You know, Bill O'Neill would say you can't kiss all the babies. So you, you should, you know, take it another uh, a step further. And of those setups that, that you're looking at, find out, well, which ones, you know, which ones do you really believe in, you know, for a fundamental reason, not just because the chart looks good. Um, I think that's where you'll get your edge. So we're going to be closing
0: this up with uh, a question or two from Shane. Uh, just remind your guys that this is part two of Charles Harris's interview for my podcast called The Wall Street Coach. We dropped part one wherever uh, wherever you listen to your podcast last week and this one part two will be released next week. Shane, why don't you bring us home with uh, your last one or two questions, if you're
3: willing. Oh, um Okay, Uh, sure. Why not? Um, (laughs) So I don't know how many people are listening um, are are trading the Can Slim system, but you know, it's for for me, it's been like a complete life changer. Um, And I saw you speak, Charles, uh, at my Master Trader program in I think it was like two thousand and I don't maybe two thousand and six two thousand and seven in in Santa Monica. And anyway, um, I got to meet Bill O'Neill as well um, at one of those um, seminars, which was incredible experience. And just because, you know, the guy's been such a profound, um, uh, he's made such a profound impact on so many investors. I guess it'd be really cool to sort of um, just, you know, just get a few words about Bill and how he's affected you and, um, and, and, and your trading and just some of sort of the best the best things in your trading that came sort of directly from working with Bill and learning from Bill?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bill O'Neill's a a rare individual, really an awesome guy. I will say a few things. Um, I I was pretty close, um, to Bill. Uh, we shared an office. He brought me into his office for um, a year or two back in, the. 2000, 2001 time frame. I feel like I, he was really a true mentor to me in, in many ways. Uh, a few things. One, he was the hardest worker in, at the firm. No one worked as hard as he did. Uh, he was always innovating when it came to the newspaper, always changing things around, always thinking outside the box. So the guy worked really hard um, at, at his business. Uh, He was a very, very um, optimistic, you know, he says he's never seen a successful pessimist. And so he was the opposite of that. He was very optimistic, uh, but also realistic. He didn't expect us as portfolio managers to always be making money. Uh, he, He, you know, he was very attuned to the general market and and knew that you know when that window is open, that's your time to take advantage. And when the windows close, you want to hopefully not lose too much. Um, but he was he was you know he'd been through enough ups and downs and, and through enough bull and bear markets to kind of be realistic and know that no trader can make money all the time. Uh, there, there's there's windows of opportunity. And in those windows, you can make a great deal of money if you're if you're on, and you want to try to avoid those periods when the odds are against you. Um, and with regard to uh, you know, again, as part of it was this work ethic. It was it was he had a, I think, you know, kind of pivoting off of what I, I said in the last question. Bill would say that CanSlim is 80% fundamental, 20%, maybe 15 or 20% technical. And a lot of people, you know, associate with Investor's Business Daily and with our firm with just technical analysis. And really that that's not really the primary component of it. I mean, it's, it's super important to be able to read a chart and be able to see, you know, um, Elements of strength in a chart, or elements of support, or accumulation—those uh, are all really important things. But what really drives the biggest winners is a, a fundamental story, and um, and and solid fundamentals and growth behind it. So I think we people just take a, take for granted. Um, like that aspect of it and and they don't research it enough to build that conviction that that can help you hold a big winner through some of the ups and downs because, you know, like pick and save was a big stock in the 70s that Bill held for seven and a half years. I mean, my, my, my average holding period is less than seven and a half weeks. So, you know, if you come across a big winner uh, like a life changer. You have to know how to handle it differently than all the other ones that, you know, we're all, are all kind of associated with fast trading, but bill made his big money in, in again, a few huge winners that he was able to capitalize on, not, you know, trading in and out of stocks. So, you know, Jesse Livermore said that men that can both be right and sit tight are rare. Um, So you need to know when you've got something, uh, you need to know how to hold it.
0: Beautiful. Be right and sit tight. Shane, any other question before we close up?
3: Uh, No, I think that's it. Thank you so much, Charles. It's really awesome. I
2: appreciate the opportunity, guys. Thanks for having me on, Kim. and Shane, great speaking with you and, and getting to know you a bit. It's uh, Yeah, this has been a real pleasure. I, I'm happy to be a guest anytime or if anyone has questions, great. you can forward them to me.
0: Perfect. Absolutely. We will. And uh, because you shared such a fantastic PowerPoint in the video portion, which we recorded before we came on here, everyone's Twitter space, uh, we'll figure out how to get that PowerPoint to listeners as well. Uh, and that PowerPoint is about Tesla and Charles's experience with it over many years. So I'm looking forward to releasing the podcast next week. Watch my Twitter handle for when that drops. Uh, should be probably around Tuesday or Wednesday. Shane, Dorian, thank you for joining both Charles and I to co-host this episode of the Wall Street Coach podcast. Charles, you've come and given us like over four hours between today and last week's interview. You're so generous with your time. You're so generous with your heart and your wisdom, and I'm just so grateful to know you and to have gotten to interview you. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it.
0: Everybody have a great night and uh, aloha for now. This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can download Kim's free ebook, Discipline and Finding Your Edge at TraderDiscipline.com and learn more about working with Kim and her team at TheWallStreetCoach.com. And if you're feeling generous, please
1: leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.